whatever kind of podcast awards are out there, get one for this man. Potty award, maybe. A, a potty award. <laughs> this could be for you. Exclamation point. All right. Today we have an exquisite episode of Smags Lined Up. We are joined by Lizzie. Lizzie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Truly an honor. It's an honor to have you here on Steve Made a Game Show, otherwise known as Smags. I am the Steve in the Steve Made a Game Show name. Um, Lizzie, you've done it. You've made it. You're on Smags. I want you to pat yourself on the back right now. I'm doing it. This has been a dream. I'm you know, long-time listener, first-time caller. I was made for this. This is a coming-of-age story for me. Let's give a little round of applause here for that. There we go. Drop the sound in. Beautiful. It's wonderful to have you on. If there was one game show that you could throw back on television these days, what would it be that we're kind of missing on our TV sets? Honestly? Okay, so tied for two. Figure it out, number one. I was obsessed with that. That was like my first entry into game shows had the board game, owned it, still probably honestly own it somewhere in a closet, but that was like the game show of game shows for me. And the second one, I don't really know if it counts as a game show, but like Slime Time Live, does that count? Kind of an interstitial live show that, you know, would go from different cartoons to cartoons. People would play games, activities, sort of. Like it's definitely on the fringes of what we would think a game show would be. But that one was like, you know, the perfect balance of tomfoolery and games and questions. You know, you were just, you really had the anticipation of like something was definitely going to go wrong. And that was so great. But figure it out, I think for, I mean, so many reasons, but I loved the addition of like, everything was random. The objects, I think were my favorite thing. Just, you know, send something random down a conveyor belt and see what happens. Yes, yes. Have a big enough reaction from Danny Tamborelli. He might get slimed. He might flip his hair back into the crowd. You had the brain, you had the junior brain. This could be its own podcast. It's just rapping about figure it out. Figure It Out was a national treasure. It sure was. It's unfortunately come and gone. So has Slime Time Live. Um, I am the Dave Azer, though, of Steve Made a Game Show. And so we're going to get started here in round one. That's going to be the category round. I've prepared a list of questions based on categories that you're going to be drawn into. I'm so excited. Round two is then going to be the persuasion round. I'm going to give you a prompt. I want you to lay out your thesis, your most convincing argument, and then you're going to get awarded points for how convincing you are for, for me in the audience. And then round three is going to be the lightning round. In the lightning round, you're going to rattle off answers as fast as you can to any kind of question or prompt that I throw your way. Again, 45 seconds, so you'll want to keep up some energy so that you don't burn out before the end of the show. Okay. Are you ready to dive into round one, Lizzie? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Your categories in the category round are Anthony Bourdain, colon, parts unknown, colon, Detroit. Oh specifically that Detroit episode. Oh my God. Napoleon Dynamite and Pedro. <gasps> and the wonderful world of mid-2000s Paul Giamatti. A, you know me. B, this is just like, I'm excited and stressed at the same time. I can't wait. Channel that stress into a positive trivia mentality. Where do you want to go first? Okay, so like to give like a 30 second background, I have this recurring dream for like the last 10 years where I'm Paul Giamatti's manager. Let's just go Giamatti. I think that's what we've got to do here. 
Do you want to go for 50, 150, or 250? Those are going to be our increments today. I'm going to start at 250. I'm going to start with the big guns and work my way down. Okay, James. Paul Giamatti. Notable for its obtruse and atmospheric teaser trailer, Paul starred in which mid-2000s spooky flick directed by M. Night Shyamalan? Hmm. M. Night Shyamalan spooky flick. I don't... I'm trying to think. It wouldn't have been like Lady in the Water. That was too recent. Is it? Was it The Village? Is it The Village? Going with The Village? I'm going to go with The Village. Unfortunately, it's not The Village. It is Lady in the Water. Ah, oh, I was so close. Dang. Subconscious, your dream conscience, if you will. Knew the answer to that, but... Always dreaming about a poly G. Do you want to slide down to 150 or go to another category? Let's do it. Let's work our way down, Paul. I'm ready. I'm ready to work my way through this. For 150, in the mid-2000s, Paul joined Thomas Hayden Church for a bachelor party vacation of sorts throughout Central California's wine country. What was the name of this movie? Oh my gosh. Did you did you give me a, a year in the question? Was there a year involved in the question? Mid-2000s is as 2000s. specific as I'm going to go. Hmm. A bachelor party. It's, I, it's obviously not The Hangover. It's not Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's also not a bachelor party. Think it out. Yeah, talk it out. I, I, I'm speechless. This one, I don't know. I'm, I'm calling it. Flip the cards. Sideways is what we were looking for. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that one. Darn it. I've watched it on a plane. Is it good? Yeah, You'd I recommend. It. I mean, anything with Paul Giamatti, so I'd, I support it. It was the two in the morning on the plane. It was the perfect kind of low energy, well-crafted movie to watch. To wrap up with 50, maybe you can get a couple smag coins here. Let's do it. Paul has portrayed a range of characters, including adaptations of well-known figures like President John Adams, King John, 13th century England. Uh, but perhaps his most famous figure that he portrayed was St. Nick himself in what mid-2000s holiday film? Uh, wasn't it Bad Santa? That's horrible. I know. It's, is it Fred Claus? It is Fred it's Claus. It's Fred Claus. Yes. Oh! It's a horrible movie. It's incredible. It's incredibly horrible, and yet it still earned you 50 points. So thanks, Fred Claus. Blessing, Fred Claus. I don't know if it's incredibly horrible. I've never watched it, but I I'm going to take I want to say it. Like, I think it's one of those movies that on Rotten Tomatoes literally got like maybe somewhere in like the zero to 10 range. It's one of those ones that's so bad that it's good. And I, I personally, I stand behind those types of films. Okay. Sounds painful. I'm going to stand by sideways instead, but listeners, <laughs> maybe listen to Lizzie on this one too. Where to next? Um, what do I have? I have Tony or Napoleon Dino. Let's go. Let's go for Napoleon and Pedro for one fifty. Okay, Napoleon and Pedro for one fifty. At one point, we see Napoleon blindfolded and taste testing milk as part of the FFA, the Future Farmers of America. Now, can you name for me two of the observations that were made in this milk testing competition? Name all three. I'll give you a bonus fifty smag coins. You know what's so funny? I literally was about to watch this movie the other day, and I feel like I would have been perfectly prepared for this. Hmm. And I have to I have to get specifically what he says. If you can name their observations from the milk taste testing contest. Yeah, there's two observations. And then right after that, Pedro has a comment about a certain cow that he's looking at. So just all that scene, what goes on. I, like, honestly, completely, this is my fear. This is like... It's like as soon as you ask someone their favorite movie is all of a sudden you're like, I have no idea. I've never seen the movie before. This is that moment for me. Uh, I'm going to take a guess here. Something about its diet and then 
can picture it. He's like, this one, uh, it's something about his diet. And then the other one, maybe he says that a cow is pregnant. <laughs> uh, a little too broad <laughs> for us here on Smags. What, what is it? I need to know. What we were looking for is the defect in that one has bleach. Oh. And then the cow got in an onion patch. Yep. And then Pedro's inspecting a cow and points out that that one has a fifth nipple. Oh my gosh. That's literally like, it's like the second you say it, it all comes crashing back. We've got to revoke your future Farmers of America pass here. You can maybe earn it if you get the other two right. Do you want to go to 250 or 50 or a whole other category? Let's go to 250. 250 is big time. This is is a tough one. I'm so scared. To help his friend Pedro get elected, you might remember that Napoleon performed an iconic dance as part of the film's climax. Yes. What was the name of the VHS tape that he bought that then helped inspire his dance moves? I was like waiting for you to say what the song was. And I was like, oh, I know Jamiroquai. I've got this. Oh, what was the name of it? It was a workout tape, right? Mm, I don't know. Something about sweating. Get, getting. To Go get, for something about sweating. Something about sweating. Getting, getting, <laughs> getting, I don't know, getting sweaty. Sweaty with Betty. You're short-circuiting here. Uh, we were looking for Dequan's dance grooves. Ugh. Get your groove on, it said on the Dequan's box. Dequan's dance grooves. That is a really a deep cut of trivia. I knew it was like a like a dance workout. I couldn't get into it. Oh, that's a good, this is, you know what? I, these are good questions. These are the questions that I should know if I claim to be a Napoleon fan. $50 one. You want to wrap that up here? Yep, let's do it. Let's wrap through Pedro. You might remember that at track practice, Pedro informed Napoleon that he wanted to ask Summer Wheatley out to the dance. Do you remember what the name of Napoleon Dynamite's date that he took to the dance was? Oh my god, what's her name? It's not Sydney. What's her name? He draws a picture of her, and he's like, I've got the shading on your mustache. Like, I know the, oh, what is her name? Not Ashley, not Veronica, not, not Summer... This is, Smags is no joke. Let this be on the record here, on air. Smags is no joke. You really got to know your stuff. You really got to figure it out when you're on Smags. That was honestly a great callback. This is, this is top-notch journalism here. Oh my God, it's like on the tip of my tongue. Trisha, Trisha. Trisha. Is it Trisha? It is Trisha. Yes. Trisha for 50 points. Okay, redemption through the Napoleon and Pedro category. Redemption. And now we're rounding out into the Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown Detroit category slash episode. I saved this one for last and it might have been overzealous of me, but if there's one thing I am through and through, it is a Tony fan and, and I'm ready. I'm ready to take this on. Okay, for how much first? Let's do, let's start right in the middle. Let's go 150. For 150. At one point, Anthony visits a local pupusa house to indulge in handmade pupusas. From what country were these Detroit pupusas that Anthony ate from? It's uh, El Salvador. As a Sal- Salvadorian? Salvadoran? That's correct. It is. It is El Salvador. Yes. That's the, the it's the secret pupusa house. It's the 150 pupusa house too. It's the 150 pupusa, 150 for pupusas one time. All right, you're building some momentum. That's and honestly, I will tell you as a sidebar, I have tried to find that pupuseria and it, I have not had luck. You really need to find it and then tell them that you earned 150 smag coins because of this pupuseria. 
I know, I need to know, I need to know where it is, but it's one of those, it's under the radar, it's a well-kept secret. As a Detroiter myself, I still don't know about it, so it's in that next level of, of Detroit knowledge. I'm getting there. I'm working on it. Evolving your way up. I'm evolving. Where are we revolving to next? Let's do, I want to save like biggest, best for last. Let's go, let's go Anthony for 50. Okay, so at one point, Anthony toured the downtrodden Packard plant. Now, within three years, can you tell me when the Packard plant ceased production on automobiles at that facility? Ceased production. The Packard plant, I think, I think went up into like the 40s or 50s because then they moved production to Dearborn. Darn. Within, you said I have three years wiggle room? That's your cushion, yeah. Okay. Nineteen fifty. 1956. Is it really? You were comfortably in the oh cushion. Oh my gosh, that was like honest. That was truly uh, pulled that out of a hat. That absolutely was a guess. I I was certain that was wrong. It was definitely reported in that episode. So you've heard it at some point in your life, <sighs> maybe more than once. Committed that one to memory. Definitely more than once. That is a favorite episode for sure. Three in a row. Can you get a fourth correct answer here for 250? Okay, I'm ready. I'm I'm buckled in. Let's let's do it. When visiting Greedy Greg's neighborhood barbecue spot, Anthony is accompanied by a local Detroit journalist friend of his, and this is a guy who is a reporter for Fox 2 Detroit in the past. I think he's since left. Do you know what the name of this reporter is? Oh, yeah, man. Charlie, L- Charlie LaDuff. Charlie LaDuff for 250 Charlie LaDuff is a, a Detroit treasure. He's sometimes great, sometimes horrible. You gotta love Charlie. He's all out there just getting the story to the people. He's swinging his golf club throughout the entire city of Detroit. He really is. Ladoff is, he's always going for that, those hard hitting stories. He's always up in there in the mix. We cherish him for that. We do. He's, he's cherished. You have cherished yourself a, a lot of points and had a nice, strong comeback to end the category round. You're wrapping up with 550 points here. We're on our way to round two. But before that, let's take a brief second to hear these words. Is quarantine getting you down? You're finding yourself out in the world. You're thinking, I really wish there was someone who was dedicated to my needs making me happy. And you know what? I've got just the person or just the pup. Soleil Bourdain, at S-O-L-E-I-L, Bourdain, like Anthony. It's really a public service. She's a puppy. She's out here. And, uh, you know, who doesn't want to see a pup frolicking through some flowers? Having just a grand old time, just popping up on your newsfeed, letting you know everything's okay. And you know, that's what she's here for. So take a swing by. We're, uh, we're here for you. We're slowly climbing up to about 60 followers and uh, hope we'll see you for 61. Okay, and we're back and we are ready to roll right into round two, the persuasion round. Lizzie, your prompt today is this. So we've seen it in the news. There's a lot of beloved American retail stores out there. They're suffering for a multitude of reasons because of increased pressure from online competition, maybe changing consumer preferences. Maybe it's just there's too many stores and the prices aren't attracting people out there. Whatever the reasons are, um, we've kind of had some issues and we're seeing some file for bankruptcy. You know, you've got Sears, JCPenney, et cetera. Now you are someone who's got kind of a design mind and sort of a keen eye for eye-catching marketing. And so can you, as part of your persuasion round, convince us how you would rescue any floundering or struggling retail out there. So if you've got a retail store in mind that you want to focus on first, by all means, go for it. Pick a couple and the floor is yours. And then I've got a bonus kind of twist on this question after, after you lay out your case here. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Okay, this is this is good. This is tough, but this is good. I'm I'm here for this. All right, you know, as as an avid consumer, as someone honestly, truly, who falls prey to online shopping spirals often, let me tell you the reasons why I end up actually going to a physical brick and mortar store. Here we go. Number one, if it's next to a coffee shop. I'm telling you, this is not a joke. If you open up a coffee shop on your street, people are going to be going into your shops left and right. Everybody wants to get a coffee and walk around. Number one, there's that. Number two, I really truly think a way that we can save this, you know, epidemic here of people not going shopping at real stores is have a dog. I think this is important. Anywhere you go, there's a shop dog. It's like you might not even want to buy something. You see it in the window. You're like, I'm going in there. Might end up finding something that you, you know, totally fall in love with, but it's all because you just really wanted to go in and pet that dog. I think this is, you know, these are some low hanging fruit options here. But I would say if we're talking in, you know, a real sense, I think we go we go more towards the experience side. People need an experience. You got to rope them in. Like a lot of these smaller retailers, they've got it going on because they've got like the experience. They've got that like local vibe. I think a lot of the big box stores, like let's go for Target. Target's amazing. People have never stopped shopping at Target. And you know why? This is my, this is my thought. The dollar spot. It's localized. It's interesting. It catches you right when you come in the door. You come in, you're like, I absolutely don't need anything here. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I, I need all of these uh, spatulas in every single color. I need tiny fake planters. And all of a sudden I didn't realize I needed a bubble gun, but here we are in the dollar spot where I have now just added a bubble gun to my cart. It's that lubricant to kind of get you ready, gets the, the wheels turn in, get the gears rolling for your shopping experience. You know, you've thrown in this desk sized calendar that you would, you would never commit to filling out this calendar for the entire year, but you saw it there and you're a teacher and you throw it in your cart and then your husband keeps pushing the cart and then you just continue shopping. Absolutely. And I think you're entirely, I think that's how you're leading. Like we really need to focus on ways to lead people in here. And you know, whether it's a puppy or a bubble gun, or maybe it's a, a new baking tray for you to make cupcakes. You know, this is, these are the kinds of things where you're like, okay, I'm in the buying mood. I'm really getting warmed up here. And now I'm ready to, to spend some more dollars, especially because you now think that you've gotten a bunch of great deals because everything is super cheap in the dollar spot. And just to clarify, you do not have a husband that pushes the cart. You are not a teacher. This hypothetical situation that I brought up was probably more so related to my own experiences and, and, and being the husband himself. But yeah, fair. I do not. I digress away from that. Nonetheless, I just wanted to point out you did. You mentioned the word localized. So could that be somewhere that you think big box realtors, you know, you go into a department store, do you feel like maybe it's too much of a one size fits all experience? And so you, they should push more towards the exact community they're, they're set up in. And you know, what? I think that a lot of them do that on the back end of strategy that we don't see. But like, I mean, another good example is like, think about Trader Joe's. A, everybody loves Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's needs no help going in there. But that's because they cater super specifically to the environments that they're in. If you look around, they always have like chalk art of all of the different places that are going on um, in that in that city, in that town. They usually have some call out to like a local sports program of a school or even like, you know, Moose Jaw, similar tangent here in terms of like Moose Jaw, super localized, obviously from Michigan. Shout out Moose Jaw. I love you. But they're also a really great one that does. They have a super casual vibe and they always are super inviting inside of that environment. A. They're localized. You go in to the Detroit store, there's a Detroit t-shirt. You go into the Ann Arbor store, there's an Ann Arbor t-shirt. So like, you know, there's some local repping there, number one. Number two, Moose Jaw, like those people are always, they bring in the people who are so relaxed. They always have like 
I can't tell you how many times I've gone in and they're like, hey, we're having a scavenger hunt today. You have to find all of these blue balls and then something happens, but we're not going to tell you till you find them, which was awesome. I ended up getting a tent for 50% off, by the way. But I digress. They also do a lot of times where they're like, hey, I don't know. You don't have to buy anything, but come on in. Um, we've got like a nice little bar set up. Come on in and have a beer, kick back with us and, and do some shopping. And like, I think those are the experiences that make a corporate brand feel a lot more accessible to people and also feel a lot more like they're shopping local and, and supporting something. Because I think it's really easy for people to spend their money online when it feels like it's big box, when it feels like it's outside of their like local stores that they would want to go support anyway. And I think if you know, take those out of there and, and really focus it as being a part of the community and maybe having some dogs, maybe having some social lubricant, getting people ready and warmed up to buy. I think these are the things that really matter. I mean, emphasis on the dogs, which I really didn't dive into, but I'm just, you know, these are the things that I think people are looking for in our, our hyper technology world where you lose the personal touch. I guess on an interesting twist, so a lot of these suggestions I think are, are winning formulas for having that inviting brick and mortar retail space. You're getting those events that are promoting business to, to drive in through the door. But in our current situation, you know, a lot of people are quarantined or, or just stuck at home and, and kind of limiting their exposure to go out shopping Ooh. for something they could instead go online and click to. So maybe even more immediate, how would you recommend you know, we saw, I think J. Crew is just in the news that they're about to go bankrupt. Yeah. What would maybe be a strategy that you would do if you were the boss to kind of tide the situation over? You got big dreams for where we're going in the future. What are you doing right now in the current predicament? This is a good, this is a good twist. This is tangible. We can, we can all feel this one together here right now. Hmm. I mean, I can tell you something that I know someone who I know has been doing a really great job of this. Who's doing a great job? What's a winning formula that could be stretched out to some of these other stores? So like maybe, the, I don't know if this is, this might be on the fringes, but I'm going to use it to, to bolster my argument here. I think restaurants, a lot of restaurants have been doing, that are still allowed to remain open are doing a really great job of this. There's especially one in Detroit that I think is awesome. It's Spread Deli. You should go there. Order the Francis sandwich. It's the bomb. It's literally the best thing ever. But they do a ton of outreach on their social channels. And like, I'm telling you, I've seen people who post on social media, who are driving from an hour, two hours away to get here just because of like how silly and how fun they've been. They're making a huge deal out of uh, their sign and, and people coming to see it and, and like that pickup experience, which obviously is a thing that's totally uncomfortable for everyone right now. It's, it's new uncharted territory. It's unprecedented as we've heard from, from everyone under the sun. But I think creating still those like silly and and fun inviting experiences they play like into this whole weird joke about their sign on their instagram story which i think is super fun beyond that i think a really good way to market these things to people is having people buy something to entertain them at home so places that are pivoting to focus on like oh well we also have puzzles and maybe like puzzles has have not been a bestseller or anything that they've ever had on the front pages or like the, you know, check out this here and new releases. Maybe it's just a background thing, but like puzzles, done. Everybody loves puzzles. I don't care if you say you don't love puzzles. You definitely love puzzles. If someone put one in front of you, you would do that puzzle. Take a picture that you like from your stuff and cut it into pieces. Then you won't know how the heck to put it back together. And it's a homemade puzzle of yours. I really, truly think focusing on those things or like I've seen... I've seen actually um, a designer that I follow who decided to, instead of trying to release a new line of clothing, he released 
like a do-it-yourself kit. And he was like, here's a pattern, here's, here's fabric, and here's all of your materials. You buy this and you make your own coat at home. And so those are the things that, yes, definitely take a lot of time and effort, definitely take a lot of planning on their part. But those are the things that I think people are really going to spend time doing. People want activities. If you can't go outside of the house, you got to bring the outside world in. I think giving people new experiences to experience in their own home and to experience the things that they would have already bought anyway in a new light. So making it themselves, giving people a little bit of like some sort of agency and power and and decision-making in a time where everyone feels like they have none of that, I think is huge. And I would say that would be my number one tip or 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 pivot, I guess, in in that world to be like give people give people experiences, give people a way to experience your products that you already have in a different way, gamifying something that you already have in like your back burner. I've seen a lot of even artists who like normally would be selling prints. Like a lot of people aren't spending money to redecorate their home right now, but they can also have their printer print their photos on a puzzle, and then they're selling puzzles. Take a picture that you like from your stuff and cut it into pieces. Then you won't know how the heck to put it back together. And it's a homemade puzzle of yours. And so I think there's a lot of really creative ways to take the things that people are already doing and already would have bought anyway and bring it into a new light in the home. It's fascinating. It's, uh, you know, kind of entertaining your customers. You're, you're delivering them a product, but in a time when everyone's kind of starved for different avenues of activity and entertainment, you bring it to them and keep some kind of goodwill towards your brand before this kind of blows over and then you can resume the normal activity. Totally. I think people are going to remember the people who, and the brands who made them feel something and who spent time trying to entertain them when everyone is looking for something different right now, other than, you know, the same six shows that we're all watching on Netflix. Or the same podcast that you're listening to over and over again too. Yeah, let's plug it real quick. Everybody listen to Smags. Subscribe. On that note, the last wrinkle that I wanted to add to this is you've got all this marketing wisdom. Share it to Smags. So tell me and thereby the audience what they should be looking for. How do we market this podcast? What needs to be done to bring this to the next level? Oh, man. How do you market the best podcast in the world? Oh, oh man. What are kind of the, the top advice that you would give us? Top advice? Share it with your friends. That is the number one organic tip I have in any sort of creative marketing ever. Share it with your friends. The best way to spread something is like wildfire through the people who actually are going to care about things you care about. That's how you get to your your number one audience for sure and how you narrow in on um, your demographic. So that's like number one tip. Share it with your friends. Have your friends share it with their friends. They'll share it. You know, it's like the Kevin Bacon thing that, you know, the what is it? Six degrees of separation from everybody's related to Kevin Bacon in some way. So everyone could be related to Smags in some way if you really care about it and you share it with your friends. So share it with your friends, number one. Number two, I mean, it's, it's great. It's great content. Maybe we have some, some sound bites. We start including some sound bites in the uh, social so that people can get a really quick taste of some of like the really fast quips and, um, you know, just really, truly future award winning content here. I think that's going to be a huge thing. Get some sound clips out there for the people so everybody can get a little taste of, of Steve, a little taste of Smags. And uh, the third thing is I think maybe, um, I don't even know. I mean, you're doing such a great job, man. Your mind is just running on all cylinders right now, Lizzie. <laughs> There's no time for sleep. There's no time for rest because you are out here solving the world's problems and solving the podcast's problems. One Smags at a time. One Smag at a time. 
one new friend at a time. So in case you missed that, listeners, share it with your friends. But you are a friend of the podcast. So we're all friends. We're all in this to connect to each other with various obscure trivia topics. So cheers to that. Lizzie, great job in round two. I am about to award you 684 points. Oh my gosh. This, I'm blown away. You earned it though. You, you really earned it. And right now your score is one, two, three, four going into round three. Let's see where you can take it after these messages. The following skit is for comedic purposes only and does not reflect a sponsorship of the discussed product. The views and opinions expressed by this podcast are not endorsed by the following company. This is not a paid advertisement. Here you are. You're going to Vegas. What are you going to see? Are you going to see a slot machine? Are you going to see Carrot Top? Maybe Wayne Newton? No, you're going to go see Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Soleil has real-life trapeze artists. It's not your typical circus. You know, there's not going to be elephants or peanuts, clowns, someone's head in a lion's maw. No, this is going to be some of the most death-defying stunts, some of the most hair-bending flips suspended in gravity, people that are actually flying, at least in our closest approximation. It's typically going to be set to various music, maybe the Beatles, maybe I really just know the Beatles were their one sponsorship. I have no experience seeing the Beatles show, but on that note, I still think that you should go see it and tell me what you think of it. It's a fantastic and very modern, exciting circus. You might remember towards the end of Jurassic Park when John Hammond, he was sitting there, he was talking about his flea circus, you know, little wee trapeze, and he was stammering. He couldn't really even remember what he was talking about. He basically forgot. You will not forget when you go see Cirque du Soleil, that's Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas. Yeah, I saw the Beatles one when I was in high school. That was my fun fact. That was my 16th birthday present from my dad. He didn't tell me we were going. He told me to pack a bag and we went to Las Vegas and he took me to see Beatles Love and I cried like a baby. It was so awesome. They do this thing where like all of a sudden in the middle of the show, there's a giant parachute that goes over everyone and they're like blasting the Beatles. And it was just like this bizarre ethereal moment. It's, it's cool. Like highly recommend. It was awesome. All right, we're back. We are heading home. We are bringing this one home. Are you ready to go home, Lizzie, to round three, the lightning round? I'm ready. I'm here. Let's let's do it. Let's bring it home. Okay, come on home. I'm going to give you this prompt, and as soon as I stop, the clock will begin, so start rattling off your answers. There is a webpage on Wikipedia called Shades of Green. I want you to name as many shades of green, the color green, as you can. Uh, chartreuse, Forest, Kelly, uh, Neon, um... Oh man, uh, hazel, pea green. Um, I don't know if pastel green would count. Sea foam green, um, blue green, turquoise, teal. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Emerald, if I didn't already say that one. Uh, oh my gosh, how many kinds of green? Eucalyptus, mint, mint, definitely mint. Um, how many did I get? I don't even know if any of those were right. <laughs> okay, Lizzie, we have done a thorough auditing of what you've answered and what the Wikipedia page gives us. Do you have eight correct answers out of what you gave us? <gasps> wow, it's not bad. Yeah, surprisingly, seafoam was not on the list, Ugh. nor was blue-green. They might have classified that in the blue categories rather than the green categories. Fair. 
Green blue was not on there either, though. So, <laughs> but green yellow was. Oh, that is interesting. Chartreuse is always my number one go-to green. If I think green, I'm like, if you're thinking of an obscure green, go to Chartreuse. Keep that one in your pocket. That was a good one. Yeah, you you nailed that one. Shockingly, though, you didn't just say green as a shade of green. That is actually quite shocking. Next time. I mean, Kelly green, neon green, forest green, turquoise. It's kind of bluish, but it is a green. It is. I really That one I really thought was going to be a, a coming out of left field. I wasn't sure if that was going to make it. What was the most surprising answer that I had that was weird? Was P green on there? P green was not on there. But at the end of the day, Lizzie, you are not a green player on Smags anymore. You have gone through it. You've survived all three rounds and you walk away with 1,314 points. Oh my gosh. Do I get a plaque? Is there a, is there a plaque? There is not a plaque. I'll make myself a plaque. That is incredible. There is a round of applause queued in right here. We'd like to thank you for coming on today, Lizzie. Let's kick it off the leaderboard and see where you end up. In six, Lizzie, 1314. First, Matt, 1885. Second, Scott, 1870. Third, Alex, 1831. S-M-A-G-S. Friends, my name is Lizzie, and I got smagged. Big time. Big time.